All right, we're on with Tom Ziegler, my man. I mean, legendary. I think you're legendary. Listen, I met you 10 years ago-ish, I think. I don't know where we were. I couldn't even tell you what state we were in. But you did a, a speech. And all I, re- I mean, I remember somewhat of the speech. But you got up on stage and uh, you start messing with your tie. I don't know if you still do this, but I don't go, what's this guy doing? I haven't done it since last week. <laughs> oh, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. And you, uh, it, it's a tie. I mean, it was, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's you, your presence on stage is um, so great, which I love because you're kind of unsuspecting, if you will, where some people come on stage and they're just full of this crazy energy and they're running around stage and it's all a little bit much. I like a calm, you know, let's get the message out, be fun, and be happy. And that's, again, this was probably 10 years ago that I saw you uh, live. So I don't know, maybe you're the crazy guy running around on stage now, but I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, one of my one of my friends uh, said, hey, you're, you're the intellectual engineer on stage. That's a, oh, that's good. And so I got, you know, my head puffed up and I'm, went and looked up the definition of intellectual engineer and the definition is nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Hey, nerds rule the world, right? I mean, that's kind of the, uh, what people say today. And it's probably pretty true. It only, you know, you're only a nerd in high school. I think that's the only time you might feel bad about being a nerd, but otherwise you want to be smart. You want to do your due diligence, take the time, understand what's going on or as best we can, right? Understand what's going on in the world, uh, which is a big task today. I mean, things have gotten a little bit crazy, but uh, uh, but I wanted to, uh, wanted to say thank you, of course, for coming on to the show. And also, I want to apologize to your to you, to your face, because we were supposed to do this a few weeks ago, and I I completely screwed it up. I had it on the wrong day. You you emailed me. You're like, I'm 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 on, and I'm like, oh, damn it! Uh, and I didn't know what to say. You know, it was kind of panic mode because I respect you as a person, and I respect people's time. I mean, that's one of my goals. I don't ever want to be like. Normally, I'm 15 minutes, half an hour early to a meeting. I'm sitting in a parking lot. You know, just because. Are you in Austin? Where are you in Texas? Up in Plano, just outside of Dallas. Outside of Dallas. I don't know what the traffic's like there, but here in Pittsburgh, it could take you 15 minutes to get somewhere. It could take you two hours. And you have no idea. So I hate wasting people's time. And I felt like I wasted your time. And I'm like, oh, no. And so I I, I applaud you for at least even not only just doing the show, but responding to my email because I was like, this guy's never going to talk to me again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you, I something I learned from my dad is, you know, he traveled all the time. So he would, he would get on an airplane do two or three cities in a week, many times. And if that happens, there's going to be bad weather or a plane's going to break or flight crew's not going to be there. And so the, the inevitable had happened. He would, he would go check in and they'd say, Mr. Ziegler, I got some bad news. Your flight is, four hours delayed or it's canceled and, and he would just say, fantastic. 
and they would look at him like he was nuts. I watched him do this several times. And they said, what do you mean fantastic? And he'd say, look, if, if you're telling me it's delayed or canceled, that means either the weather's unsafe, the plane's unsafe, or you, you don't trust the flight crew. <laughs> and I don't want to be up there. I want to be down here. <laughs> and besides that, I've got all this work that I can do. And there's a 40,000 square foot office that you've built for me. That's got, you know, I can plug my stuff in. I can, I can get coffee. I can get food. It's air conditioned. It's well lit. I mean, it's fantastic. And so that just, that just told me that all of us are going to have something happen. Mm -hmm. And so when, especially when the meeting's a Zoom meeting or a Zencaster meeting <laughs> where my commute is 12 seconds, to me, it's, oh, bummer, fantastic. I've got all this work I can do anyway, right? And so I don't let, I don't let those little things get in the way of a great opportunity. So. Well, good, good. And uh, human error, it happens. It happens yep. to all of us. And it's, uh, some people, there's two different ways to look at it. The optimistic way, or you can be negative for the rest of the day. Optimism, <laughs> I think, is always the best way to go. I certainly want to talk, you know, about you and your story, but I don't think we can really do that without at least mentioning your father, uh, who is the, the or was the great Zig Ziglar, uh, and anybody in sales, uh, marketing, uh, self help type of situation. If you don't know Zig Ziglar, I mean, what do you? I, I don't know what you're looking at because between Zig Ziglar, I mean, I think your dad was probably at least in my mind, like one of the very pioneers of that genre, if you will. And, and Jim Rohn was another one that, that I always gravitated to, both, both your dad and uh, Mr. Rohn. But, and now you have everybody seems to be a self-help coach. Or, uh, but the, the, uh, the messages have certainly changed, or I, I, I view the messages have changed, or maybe not the messages, but the de delivery. You know, when your dad would write a book or do a speech, and I listened to a lot of, you know, growing up when I was a, a salesperson. Now I try to not be a salesperson, even though I'm in a sales scenario, but trying to learn the art of sales when I was in my early 20s, the way that they presented was just so much... It, it, so much better than anybody else out there. And the words that they said were, were seemed to be chosen very specifically. Like almost every word was very precise. And, and I don't have that. I don't have that skill, right? But in today, everything's just kind of watered down. It's I'm a self-help coach. Yeah, you need to wake up at six o'clock and do this and you're gonna uh, and get your workout in. Everybody kind of has the same message. Uh, growing up as watching your 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 dad um what are your thoughts about you know that old style versus the new style or maybe i'm t completely off base and you look at it as hey nothing's changed yeah i think you're right a, lo a lot has changed uh one is just the reality of the venue and the marketing um for the last 30 years of dad's life when he was speaking 
he spoke an average of 30 times a year to an average audience size of 12,000 people. Wow. The, the big stadiums. Um, and those don't happen anymore. I mean, there might be a half a dozen events of that size in a year. And there used to be 30 of them a year. <clears throat> and so what happened is it was very easy to market uh, 25 years ago. You could market in the newspaper because that's what everybody read. And, and so everybody would turn out. Well, now how do you market to a geographic area? They don't read the newspaper. Mm -hmm. uh, radio is, is good, but it doesn't fill the room. You got to have direct mail. And, but really now it's all social media. It's all lists. It's all that. And so a lot of the authorities today, I'll put that in quotation marks. Thank you. I was going to do it for um, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're really trying to market to their own, what I call their own stick, you know, they're trying to find people like them. Um, and so they'll use language and style that'll turn off at least 50% of the world mm -hmm. um, because they've got a global audience. And, and so, and they're not trying to have big events in a geographic area. They're trying to build a list of people who respond to the way they are. And I'm not going to comment on whether that's, um, good or bad or right or wrong. It's just a whole lot different. Uh, you know, my father was just so um, adamant that when you got up to give a presentation, why would you ever say or do anything that might offend somebody in the room that you could have had an impact on with a life-changing message? And so for him, that meant, you know, I'm not going to use profanity. I'm not going to say an off-color joke. Uh, I'm not going to down mouth any segment of society. I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring hope and encouragement. And I'm going to say it simply. And I'm not going to make a promise that if you do A, you get B, right? I'm going to say, here's the first step. And you're going to have to put some energy in it. And when you start believing differently, you start behaving differently. And when you behave differently, you start getting different results. And yes, it all does start with a new thought or a new belief, but it takes some time to get there. And guess what? We're going to make some mistakes along the way and that's okay. Uh, we, we just keep going. Um, but a lot of the messaging today is, you know, it's kind of the infomercial. I've got to solve all your life problems in the next three minutes so you can make a decision. Yeah, well, that's everybody's attention span seems to be about three minutes now. So, yeah, well, you're giving people credit. You're right. Uh, yeah. so a psychologist reviewed dad speaking. So this is 25 years ago. And he came to him and he said, Mr. Ziegler, you tell a lot of jokes. Why do you tell a lot of jokes? And, and dad said, well, um, I tell the joke to bring people's attention back to my presentation because people's minds wander. And if they hear the audience laughing, then they want to know what was just said. And the psychologist said, yeah, that's right. I agree. That's why he, he goes, do you know how often you tell the joke? And dad said, no, I don't. He said, I don't have them planned. I just have them for when I see the drift. 
And the psychologist said, well, I timed it. You tell a joke about every seven minutes. And dad, and he said, do you want to know why? And dad said, yeah. And he said, well, that's how long there is between commercials on TV. Oh, wow. And so look at today, our, our concentration link isn't based on commercials on TV anymore. It's based on text and social media and instant messaging and all these things. So the great speakers today, not only do they have great content, but they use different tools and imagery to bring people's attention back in. So it could be showing a quick video or telling a joke or, or transitioning to a story or moving around on the stage or using some other prop to help bring people in. Uh, and it's because it's a tougher audience, I think, from a tension span. And well, I, it, it really is. And I was talking to my son just yesterday and we were, I was driving him and his buddy to, they play soccer. So driving him to practice and his buddy was talking about some movies that he wants to see. So they're, they're teenagers. So he w- was able to watch Fight Club. Uh, as, I don't know if you've ever seen Fight Club, great movie. Uh, and he was like, wow, all, this opened my eyes that there's so many great movies that I haven't been able to see. And my son's like, yeah, I can't sit through a movie because, and I said, you, you could if you turned off your phone. Because now you're watching the movie, but you're really, the movie's on, but you're not paying attention, so you're not getting the characters. You're looking at your phone, and you, you, I mean, one of the best experiences, a great movie, it's a wonderful experience to sit down for an hour and a half, two hours, and get that story. Uh, and it really, it's, it's, it's scary. I don't know if it's scary is the right word. It's just different. Uh, and we all have to change, or they're going to have to change in subsequent generations with technology. Uh, it, it really does change everything. But if you listen to speeches today versus when your father was speaking, they're completely different. And, you know, when your father spoke, it was more like a movie. You know, it's we're, we're, we're getting somewhere by the end of it. It's not every, every three minutes I have to have a new point and here's an action step. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you got to get, get accomplished. So it is different. Yep. Early, early in his career, uh, when he would be hired to go in and do a presentation for an organization, it was usually three hours. Mm-hmm. And then it became 90 minutes. And then the big venues, they shortened them to 30 minutes. And then Ted came out and said, what, 17 minutes or 24? Yeah, 17. Uh, And there's a lot. If Here's the thing. If you ever ask a speaker, if you say, hey, can you come in and speak for an hour and a half? And it's a great, well-known speaker. They'll love you because that's easy. (laughs) If you say you got 17 minutes, ooh, you've just put a lot of work on them. (laughs) because it's hard. Well, I like the 17 minute concept because there's a lot of bang for buck. It just, it gets, the fluff gets taken out of it. And so that's really good from a, from a knowledge load. When you said your kids, how old are your, how old your, your my son's 15. Okay. I have a daughter who's 11. Okay. So one of the things that's, that's a sad fact of the cell phone is that, from a science and biology and technology perspective, we know more about uh, athletics and how to help an athlete get in supreme condition for nutrition and the right workout. And yet injuries are uh, 
more frequent than they've ever been. And they used to think it was because people are bigger than they've ever been, right? Or stronger. And now they think it's because when the, the, they're not getting enough sleep because they go to bed at 10, mm-hmm. they don't turn the phone off until one. And the rest and repair of the body happens when we're in deep sleep, which ups the ability or the likelihood of having an injury. Because if you can't repair the muscle damage you did the day before, eventually you're going to go out there and get hurt. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's things that we've got to understand as a presenter, how we address an audience with a shorter attention span. <laughs> and as a performer, how we need to set ourselves up for peak performance by understanding uh, what technology is good for and where, where it hurts us. Yeah. And another part about technology, you know, I love, there's a love hate relationship and I just had a friend of mine on, his name Jeff Schmutz. He's, he's a singer-songwriter, a uh, local guy. Uh, great band, by the way, Good Brother Earl, fantastic band. And we were talking about the music business and how you have this accessibility to everybody. And part of that is very good. I mean, if I'm a musician, I have an opportunity to be able to get my music out into the world and the the world can judge that, right? And and the nice thing about that from a music musical standpoint is, I mean, there's a, certainly subjectivity to that. But if you're a, a really crappy music musician, nobody's going to really want to listen to your to your music. But where I get sometimes not again, I don't want to use the word worry, but it's a little bit of a concern is that anybody can put a mask on, quote unquote mask. And say, you know, in the world that, that you lived in, you live in and your, your father did, I, I'm going to coach you, right? I'm going to be, the, and anybody can do that now. And if you have a good enough presentation, even though it's, it's complete garbage, right? You could be a terrible person, but I'm just going to put on this mask and go out there and pay for, you know, do a few videos, pay, pay for those to be distributed uh, through all the different social media channels, get your email lists together, so forth and so on, spend some time doing that. But anybody can actually fake it and get a message out there that that maybe isn't as positive or uh, optimistic uh, as somebody like your father and yourself in your speeches to and influence people in, in a maybe not... What am I trying to say? I don't want to say not just, but maybe a little bit of a villainous type of of way. And I, I don't know if, if that's what we're seeing part and parcel of today, as you were talking about. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and speak, and I don't care if I upset half the population because I have the other half. It's politics right now, right? It's, it's you're going to be on one side or the other. And most of us are really in the middle, you know, if you really talk to people, but they, it's like, you know, you have to, if you're going to be a Democrat, you have to hate Republicans. And if you're going to be a Republican, you have to hate the Democrats, which is just ridiculous. But that message is being taught to then younger generations like my kids. So they're picking up, they're not picking up Zig Ziglar. They're not t- picking up Tom Ziglar. They're not even picking up like a Tony Robbins anymore. You know, now it's these 30 second to a minute bites of 
this is what you need to do and forget everybody else. Don't care about them. You need to focus on yourself. I see this all the time and you need to be better, which, hey, that's a good message. You need to be better. But part of being better is including everybody, right? Being better to other people is probably the most, in my mind, the most powerful way to become better for yourself. Do you see a an issue with that or do you turn a blind eye to that and just say, hey, I'm, I'm doing my thing and having my message? Yeah, uh, I spend a lot of brain time on exactly what you just said. Um, motive is a huge part of it. Um, why are you, are you saying or teaching or delivering something for your benefit or the benefit of the customer, of the audience, of the person you're working with? One of my mentors is named uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And he says this, he says, uh, he says, when you solve a problem, you're often rewarded with a certificate of appreciation. We call that money. <laughs> the more problems you solve, the more certificates of appreciation you get. And then he, he's a rabbi, so I like this last quote. And he says this, God is never happier with his children than when they're solving the problems of his other children. And so when you when you go into business or into a room as a presenter or whatever your role is, are you there to solve their problems? Is that your motive, right? You want the best for them. And and that's really, um, that's the key today. Um, I I had this, this, uh, this thought problem. And the thought problem is if you came across somebody who was uh, blind and deaf, would they care about your race, your religion, your gender, your political party, your disabilities, your physical looks? No, they wouldn't care. Of course what, would not. They ca what would they care about? How you treated them? And so let's, let's go one step further. Let's say you're in a horrible accident tomorrow and suddenly you're blind and deaf. And there's two lists and you get to pick the list, right? So the first list is this. Would you care about race, religion, politics, uh, disability, gender, economic status? Or when it comes to people who are caring for you, would you care about love, compassion, integrity, humility, respect, kindness, selflessness, positivity? It's the second list. Of course. Right. It's the mm -hmm. second list. And so it's like uh, we're in this climate of polarization where it's all about the first list. And I think you're dead on. I, I bet uh, other than the far, far right and the far, far left, I think 75% in the middle, they care about the second list, the virtue. You're right. And I think it's higher than 75%. And that's my point about technology giving people voices that really shouldn't have voices or never had a voice before. And now they can, they can take a megaphone throughout the world with the internet and project. And a lot of those times, those people, and you know, unfortunately, if they didn't have a voice, when you get a voice, what are you going to do? You're going to start yelling and, and singing and, and you just want to be as loud as you possibly can. And that's what's taking over. I'm able to filter that, right? I don't watch Fox News. I don't watch CNN. I try to decipher. I read both sides of 
you can't read both sides of everything because you, you never leave your house. But if there's a topic that's going on or a situation, I want to read both sides, kind of come to the agreement, in my mind, what what could be right. But with these this generation, I fear, coming up that we have 30-second you know, or, or three-minute attention spans, well, that's the loudest. That's all I'm hearing. Okay, that's easy. I don't need to think about it anymore. They said something that I agree with, so I'm just going to jump on that side or or the other side. And you should never jump on a side. Never be part of that. those tribes. Think for yourself. I'm sorry, do you mind if I ask your age? Sure. Almost. I'll be 58 in a few months. 58. Okay. 57 right now. Yeah. Happy early birthday. Yeah. Uh, I'm 46. So same-ish kind of generation, right? So I hope that as an adult, you're able to make those distinctions, take in some input, process the input, make a decision on how much of that is BS and how much of it is is valuable knowledge. But when you have a two-minute attention span, it's boom, boom, boom. Okay, I'm not even going to think about it. That's good information. I'm just going to follow. And you see this with followers. So all of a sudden in social media, it's all about the followers, the followers. They're not friends. They're just followers. And if I can get somebody to follow me by saying a few sound bites, maybe I can influence that person to influence their friends. But again, we're losing that ability to communicate positive messages. Because to your point, if you broke it down to the two lists, I think just about anybody sat down and read those two lists that you just explained in private they're going to gravitate to the second list. But in public, it's, yeah, the first list is what's popular now. It's the likes, it's the quick sound bites. Now, I wonder how that has affected, well, before I get into how that has affected your business, I'm going to talk about you. Growing up, yep. you're, you're now the, 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 the CEO or president of... CEO, yeah. Um, let me make a, a quick comment. On... Yeah, yeah because you're in a sweet spot that I love to talk about. Good. Um, Let's get into it. Most people, if you say, hey, are you, are you smarter than the average bear? <laughs> They're going to say, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And so, great. So you're smarter than the average person. Well, did you know, and Nassim Tlaib wrote a book called The Black Swan, and mm great book and basically the book just says hey when a when a black swan event happens like a world war or a pandemic or financial crisis like the great depression when that happens who does the best right who has the best chance of success well he had very definitive answer the people who have the best chance of success they do two things first they let go of the way it was and embrace the now we're never going back. Second is they get and invest about 10 minutes of time getting news from the left and 10 minutes of time every day getting news from the right and then they turn it off and they go about their business. Why is that? Well, both sides have some truth. And if we're uh, bias towards one or the other, we miss out. And so here's a question. If you think you're smarter than the average person, where are you getting your news from? And is it about 
10 minutes on each side. Because after that, the news is just dragging you down. It doesn't matter which side it's coming from. Absolutely. And I would actually take that. And when he says the news, you know, I, I take that a step further. And the reason that I say I don't watch CNN or watch Fox, I don't watch the news simply because the people that are delivering the message are really trained to deliver it to sway you to their point yeah. of view. Uh, you know, so it becomes hard enough, you know, without somebody trying to sway you, just reading the information, it's hard enough to come up with it. But if somebody's trying to sway you, that even makes it more difficult. And which, who am I going to believe? And you have these people that, oh, I believe, um, you know, I only listen to, I don't, I, I don't watch Fox News. So let, I know that Tucker Carlson was, was one that was popular on Fox News not too long ago. I only listen to Tucker Carlson, or I only listen to um, Anderson Cooper, for example. Well, listen, those people are there because they're very good at persuasion. So what I do now is I have, and this is, you have to be very careful on this, is because of algorithms, but I use Flipboard and I use Apple News. I don't know if you've heard of Flipboard, but it's just a... <clears throat> aggregate of information from articles and whatever you kind of are interested in, it will keep serving that to you. And I, I didn't purposely do an experiment, but over the pandemic, when we had riots, uh, I found that the people that I not 100% agree with, but the people that I the side that I looked at that I thought was being a little bit more reasonable at that time was more on the conservative side. But I noticed my news feed starting to change to only be more of a conservative. And then it started to be just grow further to the to the right, more into the extreme. And I'm thinking, wait, this, I don't agree with any of this. So then I had to go back and change my algorithm to put in, well, I need liberal view, right? I started subscribing to liberal view and democratic this because I needed to, you have to pay attention to the information that you're getting uh, and then read it. Because I think reading it, although the person that's writing it is trying to persuade you as well, it's different than somebody speaking in your ear. And yep. it's, it, but it, it, it's time consuming, you know, and then... If you come down to a point where you really want to find a fact, oh man, I mean, you could spend hours digging very through difficult. to, yeah, it's it, very difficult. And what you're, what you're really talking about is uh, intentional polarization. And so they did another study and they took 12 people, a little right of center, and they said, here's a social problem. Why don't you guys brainstorm and come up with an answer? And so the solution they came up was a further right solution than the average of the 12. Hmm. So they took the same thing to people who were a little left of center. They gave them the same social problems and they said, Hey, why don't you come up with the solution? And the solution they came up with was a little further left than the average of those 12. And so what happens is, is, this thing called group think starts to happen. Now, the reason it's so deadly is because social media and all the algorithms recognize that. And as soon as you show a preference for one to the other, the more they can agitate you to the polar extreme, the easier it is for them to make money off of your name mm -hmm. because they can predict with a higher frequency what you're likely to buy. So here's the problem. 
in, in Jewish tradition, <clears throat> the rabbis from different groups would get together and they would argue at the table. I mean, they would argue like crazy. And then they would leave and be best friends and eat and carry on. And and so the point was, is they they weren't arguing to win the argument. They were arguing to discover the truth. That's brilliant. It's a big deal. And so in this country where we've got legitimate wisdom from left of center and right of center, if we get so far polarized that we never invite somebody from the other side to the table, then we can't really discover the truth. And so that's what's going on in our culture right now. And so what we've got to, what we've got to do is we've got to uh, focus on discovering the truth and understand that. I mean, what I, you know, there's, I, I follow the New York times and I've got a lot of conservative things. And what I really, the gems that I look for is when a conservative uh, intellectual writer uh, validates a liberal point or when a liberal intellectual writer validates a conservative point. And that's, that's where, where the gems are. Right. And, but our, but we're being polarized intentionally, whether it's social media or the news, because it's much easier to make money on our behavior because it's very, very predictable, but that's not what our country needs. Our country needs, you know, good thinking people right of center and left to center getting around the table, arguing in good faith with kindness and respect and humility to discover the truth rather than to win the argument. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. And what do you mean to give? Because you have both sides. I don't know where this came from, right? This, I, I have, friends on all spectrums of everything. We probably disagree on certain issues, but that doesn't mean we'd, we wouldn't be friends. We'd go, you know, if, if I come to, to Dallas-ish area, Tom, let's go have a beer or something. That would never stop me from being friends with you or anybody else, right? If, if we don't completely agree, that's fine. That's great. That's what makes the world go around. I love that. If everybody agreed with me, how boring would the world be? It'd be a terrible, boring, gray, bleak place. I don't know what happened because, and I, you know, I don't think it was obviously a single event, but it's certainly the internet had a great deal to do that. But the internet itself isn't it because the internet's just information. And people could put out false information. People can put out real information. I think that it part of it has become that the, you know, if you're at your desk, now I'm listen. I'm I'm not the most organized person. If if you organize my papers on my desk, I can't find anything. Right? I know when they're all spread across my desk. I know it's you know four under this pile over here that I need this one piece of paper. So I have things everywhere. That's how my mind works. But it's kind of like here's a here's a factual document, Tom. I need you to keep this document. You go out to lunch. You come back and there's ten thousand new documents strewn across your, your desk and you're going, uh Oh, well, which one's the facts? And I got 10,000 different points. I don't really want to deal with this. Let me just pick up the first one. Ah, that seems reasonable. I'm going to take that as fact. I think that may be what the, the, the internet has created. What's your perspective on what's happened to get it? I don't know that it's, 
if it's only the United States that this is going on with, I would assume not, but I can only speak for the United States, that people have seemed to have given up and just said, this is easy. I'm just going to dig my heels into my tribe, you know, the people that I like. I'm only going to associate with these people. Uh, if anybody has a, 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 a opposing viewpoint on social media, all I have to do is click a button and I don't have to hear them anymore. Do you have any thoughts about how this happened or or when this happened? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, first off, a lot of times we ask the wrong question. And I'll give you two examples. Um, in the 1920s, after World War II, the U.S. Uh, government, the planners were very concerned because three million farmers moved to the cities to support war effort and famine was such a real possibility back then people dying of starvation mm -hmm. so they said you know what we got to make sure that the americans have enough to eat so they subsidized farmers and what they didn't count on is that technology was going to start getting a tenfold yield increase so now they're subsidizing farmers and we've got too much food so they thought, well, we've got this extra grain, let's feed it to livestock. Okay, so they started, well, then they started producing more because it's subsidized. And they're like, you know what? We can make ethanol and run machines with it. So, this, so still the, the yield continues to grow and they got left over in the store. They say, you know what? We need to eat it. So we'll change the food pyramid to where grains are the primary uh, source of calories. And that's why we have the processed food obesity epidemic that we have today. Yeah, it's awful. Imagine if the question had been, how do we create healthy Americans from a nutrition standpoint? But we saw the same problem with COVID. COVID hits, schools shut down. The question they asked was, how do we teach what we were teaching live in the classroom? How do we teach that online? That's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. The question should have been, what can we do to educate our kids to be productive citizens at the end of this? There would have been a whole slew of different answers, right? Mm -hmm. So, why do we ask the wrong questions? Sometimes it's benevolent. We don't want people to starve. Most of the time today, I think it's, it's, it's malevolent. It's how do I benefit? Yes. Right. And so, and so, you know, we hear words like uh, crony capitalism or conscious capitalism, you know, and one of them is for my benefit. One of them is for your benefit. Uh, we do know that capitalism works. All you got to do is look at uh, worldwide death rates, poverty levels, and lifespans to know that when capitalism, it's the one thing that changes and lifts all the boats. Can it be corrupted? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it can. So what do we do? We, I think we got to follow the money. I think we got to figure out what's going on. And so, so how do we change it? Um, <laughs> we got to educate and understand who's winning when this, when this path gets followed, you know, what's the, what's the, 
what's the unintended consequence of doing more and more and more of that? And when we bring that to light from an objective perspective, um, <clears throat> there's a lot to be said today in the world about Andy Andrews, who's a friend of ours. He calls it the little T and the big T. Okay. So the T stands for truth. And so imagine that um, you're too many blind examples, but you've got blindfold on and you're in a dark room and, and somebody leads you over and you put your hand up against the side of an elephant. And you might think that's a wall. I mean, it's solid, it's firm. That's a wall. Well, that's true. It could be a wall, but it's not the truth of an elephant. Mm -hmm. And so right now, culturally, we are giving uh, priority to the little T truth that right. people have rather than the big T. Yeah. And that analogy of the elephant, you put somebody on the side of the elephant, feels like a wall. What happens if you put somebody in the front of the elephant yeah. and they feel a, a, this, you know, it, could it be a, a snake or a, what is, the, it's a hose of some sort. Yeah. Uh, you know, you put somebody in the back of an elephant and grab its tail and say, I don't, this might be, a, a, you know, it's furry. I don't know what, you know, it's a muskrat or I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, perspective, but but you're all looking at the same truth or you're all experiencing that to say, okay, why don't we come together and discuss and what this could be uh, instead of, but people are just digging their heels in, you know, this is a wall. This is where I'm going to be. I, uh, and I don't want to be wrong. And somewhere I, education wise, it's become a, a major issue to admit your failures, not, not failures, but to admit you're wrong. It seems like it's a weak position that if uh, if I'm not correct uh, on something, and I'm not correct most of the time, and you know, I have colleagues that we talk about, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. If you are going to dig in just because you have an opinion and you're not going to listen to anybody else, you can't become a better person. And if you can't become a better person for yourself, you cannot help other people. And to your point, I'm, I'm in the business world. I'm big fan of capitalism. Yes, we have, it has its shortcomings because it allows the ability uh, uh, to uh, manipulate, but it's still a, a great system. And you look, you know, think about conscious capitalism and all that, that is pretty much spot on. I mean, we need to do something. Something needs to be, some people need to be held accountable. And whether that's through regulation, that's a whole other 10 hour conversation we could have on that. But yeah, yeah. It, it goes back to the list of virtues, right? And so I heard a phrase the other day uh, that, I, that I really like. And this business leader, they asked him, well, how do you navigate this, you know, this minefield of cultural uh-ohs? <laughs> and he said, well, I just focus on the I's and the O's. Everybody's included and everybody has an opportunity. And then I added, I add to that as long as they treat each other with the virtues, right? Yep. So if you have respect and kindness and humility and integrity and love and compassion, and you go down these, you know, self-control and you, you look at the, and I wrote that 
the book, The Ten Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. That's the idea. So, you know, the standard for capitalism is the virtues. Is it mm-hmm. lining up with the virtues? And, you know, uh, there's a guy named Joe, Joe Calhoun, and years ago he was mentoring me, and I said, is there, any, is there ever a time where you just fire somebody on the spot? And he said, well, you know, besides the obvious things like murder, <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, yeah, in general, if you watch somebody make a decision that benefits themselves at the expense of someone else, that's a pretty good line. And so that's where, um, that's a good way to look at stuff, right? Is, is, is where does it cross the line? Well, when it benefits a few people at the expense of someone else and so much of, of capitalism and business growth, that it benefits everybody, you know, everybody wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when I do corporate work and, and do uh, leadership coaching and consulting, you know, I'm like, um, what's your biggest challenge? And if they say, um, gosh, retention or burnout and stress. And I go, okay, well, what's causing that? Well, if they've created a work environment where divorce is high and burnout and stress is high and everything else, then I'm sorry, but they're, they've created an environment that benefits a few at the expense of others. And that's not a good environment, right? It's not sustainable. It doesn't mean that we can create a perfect world, but our objective should be, hey, you know what? I'm going to guard my people's quality of life. I'm going to help them grow and be more effective tomorrow than they are today. I'm going to, I'm going to communicate to them the difference that what, the, what we do makes in the, in our community, you know, this is a higher cause. When, when we make a sale, when we get a project, lives are changed for the good. And then as a leader, I want to know what each person on my teams, what their purpose is, what their why is, where they're going, what they, and I want to help them get there because if I can help them achieve their why and their purpose while they're helping me achieve mine, that sounds like a good relationship. It is. And that was back to almost everybody in today's world, I believe can take what you're saying and implement that to become a successful person. And when I talk about success, I'm not talking monetarily. Money is great. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing. We need money today. If that's your, feel like that's the purpose, number one, you're going to be disappointed when it's time to leave this place. I I think you're probably going to look back and say, man, I made a lot of mistakes. I wish I could go back and have a better relationship with my family, have a better relationship with my friends, with my colleagues, with my employees, whatever that is. But if you focus on doing the right thing and not chasing the dollar, to your point earlier is that, that not only are you happy, the people around you are happier, which makes a much better environment. And the money is rewarded to you, right. you know, you know, and the things that, and again, people, I talk to a bunch of people. I wish I would win the lottery. It's fine. It's great. Or I wish I would, you know, look at Elon Musk. He's got all this money. He must be so happy. I don't know Elon Musk. I have no idea whether he's happy or not, but I can guarantee his happiness at that stage, isn't based off the the dollars. I don't know that he could. I think there was a time where they told him that he he was the richest man in the world. He was like, hmm, isn't that interesting? And that was it. 
because it doesn't, it, that's not the driving force. But a lot of people today, whether it's because of, I don't mean to pick on like the Kardashians, but it's just flash, flash, flash. Oh, look what they have. I want that. And how do, if I want that, then what's the quickest way for me to get to A, from A to B? And then it starts to be exposed, right? You see these influencers who you thought were in a private jet, but yet they're renting a little uh, office that looks like a private jet and taking pictures. And what, I mean, what, I, don't, I don't, I can't imagine being that kind of person, but do you think those people, a person that's doing that feels good about themselves? I can't imagine unless you have some psychopathy of some sort that, that that's going to make you feel good and make the people around you feel good. Uh, yeah. I think the, the lesson is do the right thing. You know what they're, everybody knows what the right thing is. I, I think, or again, uh, besides like maybe a Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody who is completely out of their gourd, but a reasonable person knows what the right thing to do is. That's hold the door, right? I mean, th right. small things, hold the door for somebody behind you. It's not a big deal, right? Uh, uh, if, if you see somebody in a, in a wheelchair that's going to cross the street, maybe offer them some help. If they don't want help, that's fine, you know? help somebody with their groceries, help somebody here. There don't have to be major things, but I'll tell you what, when you do those things, you get that little, a little spark inside, just a little like, Hey, I did. That was, I feel good that I helped somebody else to feel good. Yeah. I love that. I was, uh, last week I was speaking and there was another speaker, uh, actually a, a movie star, Glenn Morshower, who was on, uh, 24. He was on seven seasons of 24. That was a great show. Transformers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a Call of Duty guy, but he's like one of the main characters of the new Call of Duty. Oh, wow. So ask your kids. They'll know. Yeah. Um, My son just got it. Last, there's a new Call of Duty something, Warfare 2. Okay. He's like, you want to play? I'm like, dude, I can't play those things anymore. So he just, he just flew in for this event from Amsterdam and London for the launch of that. And he was talking about how easy it is to make somebody smile, to make somebody's day. And he says, you know, when we're in a building, it's the eight foot rule. We'll, we'll hold the door if they're within eight feet of us, but if they're nine feet or further, we pretend we don't see them. Right. <laughs> right. And he says, he says, I'm the best door holder in the country because somebody could be 50 feet away and I'll look and I'll hold the door. And he says, people are just blown away yep. by that little act of kindness. Yep. Right. The little difference, what you said earlier, um, I've been playing with this and it's, it's, uh, uh the difference between self-esteem and self-respect. Mm -hmm. And so you said, well, what kind of person, how would somebody feel about themselves renting a fake airplane, you know, to take pictures in, presenting a life that they don't live, right? I think the roots in that, a lot of that's in the self-esteem, you know, because it, for a lot of years in school and still in a lot of places, hey, you know, what's the most important thing? Our kids' self-esteem. Nobody can fail. Everybody gets a trophy. Well, if you've got an athletic team and you've got three or four hustling and killing it and practicing and, you know, then you got the normal people in the middle and then you got the 
the smart, I call them smart, lazy people. Hey, we're all getting a trophy anyway. Why would, <laughs> well, yep. Did, did the smart, lazy people feel better about themselves because they get a trophy? Does their self-esteem actually go up? No, it doesn't. And so what we have to do is instead of focusing on raising somebody's self-esteem, we've got to focus on helping them grow their self-respect. Mm-hmm. And, self-respect. and a, lot, yeah. uh, a lot of that comes from failing. Yeah. Self-respect is saying, you know what? I'm not very good at this skill and I'm going to practice it and I'm going to practice it and I'm going to get some coaching on it. And I'm little by little, I'm going to get better. And you know what? I may never be like the expert in the category, but I went from awful to decent. Right. Right. And I did that. I earned that. I worked that. Well, it's the same way in a job. You know, you, you get paid for performance. You, you, you know, it's not because you showed up like everybody else did. It's because you actually did to the standard required, get the job done on time. Well, you do that enough, you get some self-respect. And if self-respect goes up, so does self-image, the way we see ourselves. And so you can't give someone self-esteem. You can take it away, but you can't give it. And what do I mean by take it away? Uh, Dad said this. He said the number one cause of a poor self-image is the lack of unconditional love. Mm. Wow. So our That's world, heavy. Yeah. Our world lives in a conditional world. I love you. I like you because you did X, because you did Y. Well, if that's how we receive love and we're not good at some things that we have to do, then they don't love me, so I don't love myself. So my self-esteem goes down. My self-respect, I mean, my self-image is hurt. But (laughs) if I love just because I'm one of God's creations, who I am, you're mine, therefore I love you. There's nothing you can do that's going to change that. Mm-hmm. Then I've got a strong, uh, a much stronger self-image. And then if the person loves me enough and is kind, you know, it's like, is it? would it be kind to let a two-year-old play in the street? No. Would no. it be kind to let somebody you love, you know, put in half effort and get a trophy? No, no, they're going to lose their self-respect if that happens. What's mm-hmm. kind is saying, you know, <laughs> I've seen you. You can do better than that. Let's see it. Yep. Really? Yeah, I'm going to hold you accountable. I can say you got more in you. Okay. Well, now they go and do it, right? And they either, they persevere either when their attitude is, I don't want to do it, but they they do it anyway. Self-respect goes up. Or they don't really want to do it because they're not good at it. Well, they go in and do the best they can and they just get a little bit better, their self-respect goes up. And so unconditional love says, hey, I don't I don't love you because of your talent. I love you because of who you are. And then we complicate we compliment our kids and the people we work with on the things they can control, which is their attitude and their character and their work ethic and their, you know, their, the things that they have control over. They can't control their brain cells. You know, right. right. Like, I got it's, them from you. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't say yeah. I love you because you're smart. I love you because no. 
you put the extra effort in. You got control mm-hmm. of that. Or you don't even say, I love you because you put the extra. I love you, period. <laughs> I'm right. proud of you because you put the extra effort in, not because you hit the genetic lottery. Yes. Right. Or, and, and on the flip side, to your point is the mistakes. It's, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed because you didn't do X, Y, and Z. You didn't study for the test like you should have. You, you, you were on your phone. We gave you some freedom and you, you, the decision was not to put the effort in, but to take the easy fun way, which was sitting, laying in bed and glued to your, your phone. So I'm disappointed in that, but I still love you. There's, you know, that has, no, that's not going to change the way I feel about you because you made a mistake. It's just, I, I'm, as a parent, you're a mentor. And listen, I make mistakes as a parent all the time. And I look back, I'm like, oh, damn it. I, why did you say that to that little kid? You know, but you try, I'm always trying to get better. But the kids, love is, the, is really all they know. So I mean, I know for me, I tell my kids, I don't know how many, too many times that I love them every day. Uh, but I still love you. It's, you know, and we have a yeah. little thing, loves, loves, double loves, triple loves. That's, you know, our little saying to each other. Uh, I love but that. It's a, yeah, it's, it's good. And I, I don't know, and maybe that's, there was a generation, you know, you, yours was probably, a, well, I don't know, as a child. In my, my parents, uh, my father was gone, like your father, in, this, in the speaking world. You know, he was playing football and then he was speaking and he was gone all the time. My mother, on the other hand, was home, but she, you know, she had a sign on her door that said, uh, no children allowed. She was not to be bothered. So we went along, you know, our lives, just as my sister and I, just doing what, pretty much whatever we wanted. Uh, and we didn't really have that, the, what now I'm trying to give to my kids. And probably it's because I didn't have it. So at least I recognized it and said, okay, I'm going to you know, snug in bed with you. I'm going to, we're going to read stories. We're going to do all of these things. And I, I imagine they're going to come back when they get older and be like, oh my God, my dad came to every sporting event and every, uh, you know, play that I had. And, oh, he was, he was just around. It's annoying. So you, you kids do whatever you want to do. But my point is from a generation standpoint, the generations that are growing up now uh, that are older than you know, my teenagers in their twenties that you know, want this influential lifestyle. I wonder if, you know, that does come from a parenting standpoint, like you were saying. Um, and, you know, I hope that these things work in cycles like so many things do. Uh, yeah. You know, I was, uh, I get asked a lot about millennials and we'll just, we'll call them a 20 something, you know, 19, mm-hmm. you know, 19, 20 up to early thirties. I don't even know what the brand or the name is. And they say, are, are the millennials, are they harder to lead? Are they um, entitled? The word you hear all the time is entitlement. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, um, I really don't think they're harder to lead. I think they have, they're more discerning and they're looking for good leaders. And they say, what do you mean? And I say, well, think about it. If you're 25 years old, your brain has had more inputs at 25 than anybody my age had by the time they were 35. For sure. 
And so that age group can read a mask and a fake from a mile away. And they grew up most of the time either in a split household or two working parents. And so they dealt with the relationship problems there and their parents aren't financially set, right? And so they see their two parents working as much as they could or a single parent working as much as they could and they don't really have security. And so they're looking at the whole situation and they're like, yeah, so why should I go all in? Right. When, you know, why shouldn't I value friends more? And why shouldn't I have a different set of priorities? Because it didn't work out very well in our house. Well, I think, I think there's some pretty good points. There are. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I said that at a group, um, a high level uh, group. And this guy comes up to me, he was 28. And he says, privately, he says, uh, you know, I really appreciate what you said because I think you're right. You're the first one who's ever talked about me and my peers, I think appropriately in a venue like this, because usually it goes off into entitlement. And I said, well, yeah, I just, I just think um, this age group has seen a lot more and they have high standards and the leaders that are in front of them aren't meeting it. And so they're like, you want me to shift to your values, but look at where your life is. And so he walks off and another guy comes up to me and he goes, do you know who that is? And I go, I just met him. I have no idea. And they go, he just sold an app that his team developed for uh, mid eight figures. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, holy smokes. Right. Because so who was he leading? He was leading, uh, People his age and older. That's who he was leading. Yeah. Right. And, and so some people get it. And so the, the question I always ask is, um, you know, our parents, they did the best they could with what they had. They were raised that way. And we all come to a point of awareness in our own life. And there's this point where we say, you know what? This is the way I am. This is the way I was raised. I'm going to perpetuate the good and the bad and there's nothing I can do about it. Or you come to the awareness and you say, you know, they did as good as they could with what they had. That's the way they were taught, but I don't have to, I can, I can put in place the type of family I want, the type of career I want and just start making choices that take you there. And so this is, this is another situation. It's the, it's, a, a big part of our culture is the victim's uh, culture. Mm -hmm. And what's really hard to articulate to people is, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's not your fault. What happened to you? hundred percent. You had nothing to do with it. And as soon as you can let go of that, that it's not your fault because most victims feel like they, they, you know, divorced kids from a divorced home or uh, abuse in the home or whatever for whatever reason, they feel like they had some part to play in that. You don't, right? <laughs> You're a you victim. Know. You don't have any part in that. It wasn't your fault. You're a kid. Now here's where the transition is. Now that you know that the only person who can create 
the life you want is you. Mm -hmm. So you have to take responsibility for who you are today and the decisions you're going to make going into the future. Yes. And, and that's a tough transition and because a lot of people uh, are being told, no, you're a victim for life. You got to have support for life. You're damaged for life. There's nothing you can do. And yet the neuroscience and brain science and everything we know is that, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's traumatic. Yeah, but you can make new decisions. You can change the way you think. You can even change the structure of your brain. You can recreate, you know, PTSD memories into memories that allow you to cope and even help other people. But is it easy? No, it's not easy. The question is, do you want to create the life you want and, and, and as tough as it is, move towards that and take responsibility for that? Or do you want the world to tell you every day who you are? One of my sayings is every day you wake up and you either happen to the world or the world happens to you. That's it's, it's a hundred percent. And <clears throat> that's what you got to love about you. You, you, mean, you hit on so many factors and I'm, as you're speaking, I'm listening to you and thinking about, you know, what, what, what can I control? I can only control my own life. You know, I can influence my children, but I don't, I don't control my children. Uh, and one of the great things about a capitalistic society is that you can change just who you are in what you wake up for every day. You still hear a lot of people going, I, I go to work, I hate my job, I hate this, it's, everything's negative. <clears throat> I know a lot of people like that. that every day it it's start with, starts with negativity, ends with negativity, you go to bed and the cycle, cycle changes. And negativity from outside uh, uh, influences, but most importantly within yourself, has a, a very dramatic effect on your well-being, your, your brain, as you were talking about. There's science that shows that you can actually restructure the, the neurological connections within your brain uh, with positivity. But having the ability... So previously, when I was a, in my 20s, I was working very hard doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which was working 60, 80, 60 to 80 hour weeks. Uh, money was, was fine. That wasn't the issue, but I wasn't happy. I mean, I knew I wasn't happy because I'd come home from work and what was I supposed to do? Well, I, I think what I'm supposed to do is have a drink, right? Because that's what everybody did. It was like, I've, I've worked so hard all day. I deserve a drink and you drink and then a yeah, one glass of wine becomes three glasses of wine or four glasses of wine. Then you go to bed and the cycle starts over. <clears throat> I know for me, my, my what changed me was having a child. And I thought immediately, I, this has to change because I won't, my goal in life now is to be there for that child. And it might not be everybody's goal. I can only speak for myself. And I made drastic changes to make that happen. It was extremely difficult took me, uh, you know, I mean, to, listen, I was always, always joke and it's, it's not a joke. It's true. If you want to start a company, starting a company is tremendously easy to do. You file a little few papers with the, you know, the IRS and you're kind of good to go, but getting a company to work is, is a tremendous amount of effort. And especially if your goal is freedom, you're putting in effort, but you're looking towards this goal. Now it took me a decade and I'm still working on it, but it took me a decade to have some freedom that I'm looking at. But you know what I did? I was able to be there. I've, 
uh, I think I've missed, <clears throat> if I had to go from a percentage, I missed maybe 2% of my son's game since he was, he's an athlete, it, since he was five years old. Um, wow. Yeah, because that's, that's very important to me. Uh, and I hope that's important to him. At 15, it's not important to him, but hopefully later in life, it'll maybe that has an effect. <clears throat> but I could have gone and just continued to do the 60, 60 to 80 hour work weeks. The money would have been fine, never would have been an issue. But my, you know, in three, four years, my son will be gone. My daughter will be a few years after her, after him, she'll be gone. And then what am I going to, I missed this all. You know, so the, I hope we can get, and I think it's coming back around. I think it's coming back around where people are looking at it and saying, okay, let me do things that I want to do where I can, you still need to make some money, but don't follow the Ferrari. Don't follow the, if that stuff comes, if that's what you want, great. But look for the freedom, look for things that will fulfill your life. And if you choose to have a family, <clears throat> make them a priority and I, I think for most people that will give them a sense of accomplishment. A lot of the rhetoric, it's not really rhetoric, but what I hear today is why am I working for, you know, this boss? I'm making him money. He's paying me peanuts. I'm doing all the work. You're absolutely right. You probably shouldn't be because you can probably take those skills that you learned. I mean, there's, again, in your 20s, learn some skills. Uh, one of the things my, one of my good friends, Mike, um, try to tell me when we, we, we grew up together and he started a business right out of college. I did not. I went to work and I would ask him to come visit me in San Diego and he'd say, I can't, All right? I'm focused on my business. And I was like, man, you're crazy. Like this is your twenties. But if I could, he was a hundred percent right. And you know, twenties seems so important, but if you could give up your twenties, you go to school, whatever, whatever, even if you don't go to school, Learn the skill that you want to learn, that you want to learn. Give up your 20s while your friends are going to the bars, they're doing all this stuff. Focus on you because by the time, likely, by the time you're now in your 30s, you can you'll create that business, work, work for yourself in a sense that um, you're, you're, you, you can control your own destiny. That's kind of cliche, but you know what I'm saying. And it'll probably lead a happier life. But we're, we're as kids, and we're, I mean, I know I was a total idiot. And I hope 10 years from now, I'll look back at myself and be like, man, we're at 46. You're such a dummy. What are you thinking? But if you can give up that time to really focus on something that's important to you while everybody else is out there doing, quote unquote, fun things, you might miss that. But the rest of your life is going to be kind of set up. Uh, I think, and I think we're getting back to that message. Don't follow the money, you know, follow what's going to make you happy. Uh, at least I hope so. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're right on. Um, in the research that I did for my last book, um, basically what I did is study the change that the pandemic caused in business mm -hmm. and in leadership. And you know, then we had the great resignation. So the pandemic happens and everybody locks down and all this uncertainty comes. And then a few months later, people started quitting their jobs. And so what it was uh, from the research that I've seen is this realization is, does my life matter? 
am I, am I making a difference in what I'm doing? Um, and then when people started going back to work, the people who were, um, when I mean back to work, the ones who were able to work from home for a while, and then they got called back to the office, a lot of them started resigning because they suddenly discovered balanced quality of life. Mm -hmm. I can get up. I can spend time with my kids at the breakfast table. I can take them out, you know, to school. I can work out. I can do all my work and productivity went up for these people. The ones who could work from home, not everybody can do that, but the job, but a lot of companies are kind of old school uh, bias and they're saying, Oh, you got to come in you got to do this. And so these people started quitting. And so top performers suddenly are in demand. A top performer in any industry can work anywhere in the world now because they're not geographically tied down. Last year, Apple put a, uh, a letter out to all their employees. Hey, move back to the mothership, right? For all of you who, who left town and are now living in, in Idaho and you know the beach in Florida or whatever, or by your parents, time to come back. And they got hundreds of signatures saying, yeah, we're not coming. Right. Yeah. And, and so here's the number one brand in the world and anybody in that in, in technology in that space, you want that on your resume. And they're saying, you know what? My quality of life is actually more important. And it's a balanced quality of life. And, and, and now they have a new thing. It's called quiet quitters. <laughs> so we've gone from the great resignation to quiet quitters. So here's a quiet quitter. Yeah, I'm going to go into work and uh, I'm just going to do the minimum, whatever the minimum is to keep my job. That's what I'm going to do. Well, that's a plan. (laughs) (laughs) How are you going to create the life you want in anything by doing the minimum? Okay, I'm married now. I'm just going to do the minimum so she doesn't divorce me. Right. Right. That's crazy. You have this opportunity to create this amazing relationship or this amazing business or this amazing career, why not go all in? Well, it's because there's not alignment with their personal goals and dreams and vision in their own life, usually because they don't have one Mm -hmm. and what the organization or the company is telling people. Working with a great company and they do uh, constant glucose monitoring and it's a little CGM machine. And instead of pricking your finger all day long, it just automatically does it. And, and it's attached to a smart phone or, or device. And so then they get you a coach, right? And the coach sees your blood sugar levels all day long. And so they know when you've had cheesecake and <laughs> like 60% of the people who do follow the program, their diabetes goes away. Mm-hmm. And so I asked these young people who were the ones calling out to the list saying, hey, did you know you have this benefit for free? It's part of your insurance. Do you want it? I said, what do you do? What's your job? And they said, oh, well, we help, we help people get, you know, cure diabetes. Oh, that's not what I meant. What's your job? Well, our job is to get people on the CGM. I said, no, what's your job? And they said, well, we got to make a lot of calls. And, and then the ones who will listen, we try to get them. I said, I said that's not your job. That's not, you know. Do you realize that when you call somebody who's 55, who's struggling, and you get them on this device, that you've probably 
just allowed them when they're 70 to play with their grandkids on the beach. Mm -hmm. Your job is getting, is creating family memories of beach time with grandpa and grandma because they're still alive. And you could just see the eyes light up. Wow. This is important. What I do. Yeah, it is. It's life changing. Well, now they suddenly have a higher purpose for what they do. And those people with that motivation, they're not quiet quitting. They're not resigning. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so as, as, as leaders and business owners, that's what we've got to do is we've, we've got to let people know what the real job is. You know, <laughs> I'm a carpenter. I hammer nails. No, you're not. No. <laughs> yeah. You build homes. Dad, you know, you say don't chase the money. Dad said a couple of things. He said, never chase money. It's too fast. You'll never catch it. Chase people. Love people and solve their problems and money will come to you. That's it. And then he said, I like what money will buy me, but I love what money won't buy me. Money will buy me a house, but not a home. It'll buy me a bed, but not a good night's sleep. It'll buy me a companion, but not a friend. And so that's the key. So that's um, the key, right? What do we love? And a lot of people quit in the last year, not because they were running to something, but because they were running from something. And so when we get really clear on our values and what it is we want and our, the virtues that we're going to live by, and we, we have self-respect and we go that extra mile and we're there for the other person and we know what our big why is, you know, family. What's a bigger why than your kids? There not is many. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. I think that's at the top. I mean, your wife's probably right there or your, your spouse or you know, your, your partner. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, then you have your friends. You know, uh, and, and then you're, depending on your, your, uh, industry, what you're doing, but your, your clientele, you know, I joke with, I, I don't talk about what I do on the show because of compliance and all kinds of reasons, but my clients all have my cell phone. They can call They know they can call me. And before I, I started that years ago, I gave them all my cell phone, but here's my cell phone. I'm, I'm available. Not when I'm sleeping, obviously. And I have rules. I'm available on Sunday. If you go, if you need me on Sunday, call me on Sunday. But I will, I'm not going to answer if I'm at a sporting event or a, you know one of my kids' events. That's always going to come first. And you know if you don't understand that, it's, it isn't going to work. But as soon as I started giving them my cell phone, they stopped calling. <laughs> you know, and then we meet. Well, they'll be their friends. We'll we'll chat. We talk about business for. 20 minutes and then we chat for another 40 minutes about, you know, how it's life going and what's going on, just like you would a good friend. Uh, And it's a, it's a great way to stop looking at people from dollars. So it's a, I hate the word client, right? I don't, I don't don't like it. I don't know what there's a better word, but make them friends. I mean, make them part of your life uh, and people will, and it's, it's, it's a much better relationship from a business standpoint, because now you're doing business with people, you know, you've gotten to know, you love in some way, uh, you want their best interests, and it, it, it makes a world of difference taking that, what you were talking about is so powerful from the perspective, 
right? Opening your eyes and that optimistic view. I make phone calls. I have to make, my boss tells me I have to make 42 phone calls a day. And out of 42 phone calls, the 20 people are going to answer. And out of 20, I need to make uh, five appointments and two of those appointments are going to sign up. And so I'm just dialing for, no, stop. Like that's, how depressing is that? But to your point, you're saving lives. You're giving this person the opportunity to spend time with his or his or her grandkids or, or kids, just longer time here. Because at the end of the day, as you know, I, I can tell you're somebody who gets this, I think. Because I don't think that everybody gets this. I'm 46 years old. When I turned 45, I, was, I said, okay, best case scenario, likely best case scenario, I'm half dead, right? Which is a pessimistic way to look at life. Um, but to say, we're here for such a short period of time. If I'm going in and pressing a button all day, every day for my job, and I'm miserable, 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 you know what? You, you don't have that much time left. I know when I was 20, I thought, by the time you're 40, I mean, that's such a far, I mean, if I even make it to 40, I'll probably be dead by the time I'm 30. I think that's what every kid says. But then all of a sudden, you're here going, oh my God. That first 20 years kind of took a long time. It seemed to take a long time. But from 20 to 40, that's a snap. From 40 to 60, it's got to be even even faster. So you're here. Why not make the best out of it? Make, every day, you know, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have down times, feelings, dogs going to die, all these terrible things. But in the grand scheme, it's like 90, 95% of your time should be a smile on your face, talking to good people, just building relationships, trying to have fun, whatever that means to you is... is is so important and having that 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 tr tremendous outlook uh of op optimism you know it's just your point about you give them your cell phone number so people are e either operating in fear or faith okay so suddenly you give them the cell phone number and you treat them like a friend so now they don't have any more fear that they can ever reach you mm -hmm. and since they know they can call you at any time and they're not afraid of that. They don't have to call you unless it's really important. Yep. It's like it's like the opposite thing always happens than what you expect. You know, oh, I can't get my felt stuff. Everybody's going to call me. No. 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 We're going to call you less because if it's urgent, they know you're there, so it never enters their mind. Oh, it's handled. Don't worry about it. Yep. Like it's it's not even an issue. So, yeah. And I and I you know, gosh. You know, my my friend Bob Odin says uh, we should work where we're celebrated, not tolerated. And he wrote yeah. The Power of Who, which is about friendship. And he says, who says we can't work with our friends? That's the biggest lie told out there. Of course, <laughs> we want to we want to be friends with the people we work with and the people we serve. I had a, one of our salespeople. She was our top sales lady. She'd come in and she'd go. Let me tell you about my little customer. And that term of endearment, it's like something I listen for in, in salespeople. When they talk about their customers, is, is do they use little terms of endearment? And if they do, I can almost guarantee you they're top 5%. It's because mm -hmm. it's, it's like, oh, this is my little customer. You know, yeah. that was just her little term of endearment. Yeah. And everybody, all of her customers were that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't matter how much that customer is worth from a dollar standpoint to the company, to your to your income, you know, however that's structured. 
like my favorite customers. I I, I shouldn't even say that because they're all. I think I shouldn't say all. Ninety five percent are just dear friends now. But some of my favorite people make me the least amount of money, you know. But they it doesn't matter. It's not that's not what's relevant. It's it's the the people, you know. From a business standpoint, if you look at it strictly from a business standpoint, you never know where a friend's going to take you, right? Again, not following the dollars, I've made probably much more money not following the, the the dollars than I would have following the dollars because I probably wouldn't have some of my great friends that are clients if I was actually just following money and what pays me the most, what gets me the most income, or how do I get the, that's not going to give me enough to even put, uh, you know, food on the table for, for the night. I'm not going to deal with that person. But what you find if you treat everybody the same, treat them like friends and family, everybody knows people right? If they start to trust you and they're the, you're their, their trusted person, they're going to tell people. If they don't trust you and they say, oh, this guy, yeah, somebody asked, oh, you, you went to a carpenter. Carpenter, yeah, he's fine. He, he came. He, was, he came a day late. He didn't communicate. He came. He, he did the job. Well, you're not going to recommend that person. I have a nope. contractor who doesn't want any business, so I don't recommend him to anybody because he's got too much business. But I would recommend recommend him to everybody if he if he wanted me to because he's he's like he's become a great friend. He treats our family like we're his family. Even my dog likes him, who doesn't like anybody. And you know, so I, go, gotcha. and I have to I have to wait for him. I have a project, and I said, Bill, and he said, you mi- I told you the window. You missed the window. I said, Okay, well I'm waiting. I'm not I'm not getting anybody else. I will never have anybody else because and not to say. I mean, he's very good at what he does. There's probably somebody better. It doesn't matter. This is the person that I trust. Yep. Another another quick uh, little quote from Rabbi uh, Lappin. He says, opportunity seeks out the generous. Yeah. And so this is what it means. If one of your close friends comes to you and says, hey, uh, I need some help with this. Can you help me? And you look at it. And you go, gosh, I'd love to help you, but that's just not my expertise. I don't know enough about that. And then your close friend says, well, who do you recommend that I go talk to? Well, the first thing in your brain isn't, well, I'm going to send them to so-and-so because they're arrogant and they're self-centered and they're narcissistic and they're going to, no, you're going to send them to somebody who is extremely competent, Mm -hmm. extremely generous. Why? Because, because you care about your friend. And so generosity is one of those things. It's, it's like, it's the old, you know, kindness and generosity, the two things that will get you more referrals than anything else you can do. Yep. Absolutely. And don't treat it like BS either. I mean, there's people that can fake it, Yeah. but you know, to your point earlier, people are getting to the point where they're, they're looking through all of that. Uh, which is good because you want to hear hold keep people accountable. Transparency, honesty, you, you can't go wrong. And it's uh, I think that's coming back around too because for so long businesses have been so opaque uh, and just lying about their message and the way they treat people. And but uh, they're being held accountable for, and we should all be accountable for our actions. Yep. Uh, we all make mistakes, and it's fine to make a mistake. Learn from your mistakes, and people should forgive a mistake that you made. If they can't, that's on them, you know, if it was a true mistake. 
but um, I, I did. I, I I don't want to monopolize monopolize your time. I I can't believe it's already been an hour and a half. <laughs> that it's that's wild because I could talk to you for another three hours. But you've got things to do. I know that. I one of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about briefly. Do you have a few more minutes? A few more minutes. A few more minutes. Okay. I wanted because I think a lot of people would look to you and say, "Well, Tom, yeah, I see what you're saying, but your dad was Zig Ziglar, and you know he gave you the company. He he set you up for the position that you're 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 in now, which I don't believe that's the case." Because uh, what I understand is that you've worked very hard, uh, but can you give a little bit of of background into if you don't know Zig Ziglar, just YouTube or books? There's plenty of books, uh, and we'll get you where they can go to contact you, Tom, at the end. But what has your experience been from a working standpoint to get to the place that you are now? Yeah, and and you know, no matter where you start in life. Um, you always have this, you know what you know, right? You know how you were raised, you know the environment you were in. And so in our business, uh, I came to work at the company right after college to support my golf habit. Uh, I thought I was going to be a PGA player and traveling around playing in tournaments. And I got good enough to realize how good those people are out there. They're really, really good. Uh, and I was working at, you know, in the warehouse and then in, set in VHS production way back in the day, then moved into sales. Uh, and, and really this whole company got built off of dad's personality and brand. I mean, he wrote, see you at the top millions of copies sold. It was, it's an iconic in the personal development, self-help space. He was speaking all over the world, uh, you know, booked year, you know, over a year in advance, usually. So, and he's a force, you know, dad was a force of nature. His, his ability to just capture a crowd, I think his largest audience, it was the Georgia Dome, 82,000 people. It was holy moly. Every seat filled and the floor, right? The, the, the field had chairs on it. So wow. I don't even, I don't even know if it holds 82,000 in a football game, right? I mean, it was. And so here I come, the intellectual engineer, uh, behind the scenes, operations. I don't want to be on stage. I don't want to do any of that. And as I progressed through and, and, and realized, you know what, people wanted me to go and speak, and I hated it. I hated speaking. Um, not because the speech wasn't good or because I didn't get a good feeling from the speech, but my stomach would just turn over. It was nuts, right? Because I'm an introvert. And, and, you know, I don't have any of that, uh, stuff on the stage that a lot of kind of natural charismatic people have. And so I had to sit down one day and I said, well, what's the deal here? And I realized I had lied to myself. My lie was, is I thought people wanted me to be like dad Mm -hmm. and I got it wrong. You see, they didn't want me to have his style his personality they wanted me to have his character and his principles and his virtues right which is two different things which and so once i understood that wait a second i can be myself but my responsibility is to go out and be the best self i can be so that was big and then of course you know we're planning legacy and so dad passed away 10 years ago this month 
And for 10 years prior to that, we're planning the transition. And then um, dad passes away. And every reason that the company was what it was went away. Right. Cause he was the force of nature. He was, was, he was the brand. He was everything. Mm-hmm. And I have a completely different personality and skill set and gifts and talents. And so one of our board members came to me at the time and he said, you know, the only thing harder than starting a new company is reinventing a company like yours. Yeah. And did I have a fantastic foundation and, you know, uh, a, 250 million people impacted by the message, you know, huge six and a half million fans on Facebook now. I mean, did we, did we, yeah, we had all that, but they were used to, this is what Ziegler does. And if I go out and try to be Zig Ziegler, they're going to, you know, the millennials will go, yeah, you're faking it. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. not you. (laughs) Right. And so it's a different kind of hard. It doesn't matter where, whether you're bootstrapping it, nobody knows you, you're starting your own business or you're, or you're in a family business and you've got a, your skill set's going to be different than whoever you take it from. Uh, but what we did have was this unbelievable reputation uh, and brand. So how do you build on that? Well, there's a little bit of weight. <laughs> yeah. You screw this thing up. Everybody's going to know. <laughs> and, and so, Yeah. Uh, and I've been asked that from in events where, where, where somebody says, you know, you're the definition of privileged, mm-hmm. right? How do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, it, what about somebody like me? And it really, and I said, well, let's talk about my dad. You know, he was five years old and his dad died. He was the 10 to 12 kids. Uh, grew up in the heart of the Great Depression. He started work when he was six. He was in the part of the class of the, that made the top half possible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> raised by a widow. Um, and, you know, and so he made it, right? So he wasn't privileged. No. Um, but why did he make it? Because of his principles and values. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And work ethic, right? So dad always said his number one reason for success was honesty and integrity. And number two was persistent consistency, which is really work ethic. Yeah. So if you do the right thing in the right way often enough, then you're going to bear fruit. And so, yeah, some people have a head start, um, but don't, don't miss, don't misunderstand. Sometimes the head starts, not a head start. Truly, truly, I feel like I've had a head start. Um, I am blessed. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love what we do, because we we get to touch people every day and help them think differently about where they are so they can create the future they want. But they've got to choose that. The decision. And the message is is timeless. I mean, that's I it's it's the message. And I probably was influenced by your dad, not even realizing it, Um, you know, because I used to listen to him and. Again, Jim Jim Rohn was another one, and they had similar messages. And it was just what I took away was just do the right thing, just, just yep. treat people with respect, and and if you were going to build a business, build it on uh, honesty uh, and transparency. Don't try to be everything to everybody. It's not you can't do that. Just do what you 
your skill set, learn what you, who you are, number one, and then take that out into the world and do what you can. If it's five people that you influence, great. If it's, uh, you know, six million like you're talking about, great. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to feel much better about that. And it's, uh, but it is hard. Uh, you know, when I, I don't know if you've ever heard this growing up, but in this, I wasn't even growing up. I think I said this before on the show, but not too long ago, probably in the last year, couple years, I'm at a dinner party event and a lady sitting on the, on a couch. So I sat there and I just introduced myself. She goes, Oh, she's like, you're Rocky Blyer's son. I said, yeah, you know, yeah. My name is Adri Blyer. Like I actually have a name, <laughs> not just Rocky Blyer's son. And she's, and she says to me, Oh, how was it? How is it growing up in the shadow of your father or her words? I was like, well, damn, that's a great way to start a conversation. And uh, it's something, obviously, at, at first I, I said, no, it d didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. But I keep thinking about it. Years later, I think about that and I go, hmm. So I have a, you know, and I work through at 46 year olds, I'm working through my own uh, inconsistencies, my own self-doubts, you know, and try to become somebody like you did. You know, like my father's business was him. I mean, that's his speaking. And it would be very difficult, I think, to then kind of take over that position and reinvent it. So I applaud you because I don't think most people could do that. It's what you've been taught, right? I mean, that's what your dad taught you. So, he, but I, I, I truly don't believe most people could stand, sit there and go, okay, I'm going to take over my dad's company that's literally named after him. <laughs> and continue to grow it and continue that message on. And so I applaud you, man. I think you've done a great job and I know you're doing really great things and helping people understand what's important in, in life. So thank you for, for, you. for that. Yeah. And, uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, almost 20 minutes away from two hours. So I know that's a lot of your time. So I appreciate you, Tom. Um, and I hope to keep in touch. I think last time we met was about 10 years ago. So hopefully I'll, I'll talk to you again sooner than that. Oh, and if anybody wants to get in touch with your company and, and, and you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. The best way is our website at Ziggler.com or you're getting this because you listen to the whole show. Just email me, Tom at Ziggler.com. Oh, the email. And just say, hey, Tom, I heard you on Adri's podcast. Yeah. And be like, cool. <laughs> Don't expect any. Yeah. Don't expect any emails, Tom. But uh, I, I saw you got to you got to go. But uh, anybody get in touch with Tom? I mean, he's fantastic. If you if you've never heard of uh, Tom or his father, go look it up. Uh, you'll be very impressed. But Tom, again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Be blessed.